Good morning, Nora, and welcome back to the Low Carb Paleo Show. Well, good morning, Elaine and Mark. It's it's wonderful to be back here with you guys. It's our pleasure, always. Uh, good morning, Monsieur Mark. Comment ça va? En plein fond, merci, Monsieur Alain. Man, you French, it's like you've got a different word for everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Nora, uh, thank you for coming back on our show to talk about your COVID-19 experience. Um, yeah. I hope. I hope you are safe and well in Oregon. Yes, um, still above ground and, uh, you know, and not too crispy And uh, from the fires. We certainly were strongly affected by the smoke here in Portland, right. where we literally had the distinction of having the worst air quality on planet Earth, worse than any place in China or India um, for, you know, close to a week. Um, it, we're expecting rain sometime today. They keep promising or threatening that it's supposed to rain, and I haven't seen that yet, but they, they're, they're trying to project skies clearing out over the weekend. So, you know. So are you smelling like the smoke, smoked barbecue? It smells like, well, I wish it smelled like barbecue. It just smells like a campfire outside. But you can imagine that it's far more than just wood that's been burning. You know, there, there are a lot of things that have been combusted through yeah. all of this. And, um, you know, I have shots that I've taken directly into the sun in the middle of the day. And what come what shows is a faint sort of orangish orb behind just the bank of what looks like thick fog, and it's not fog; it's smoke. Right, so right. Had, and I guess I guess none of this is very healthy uh, to breathe, right? Yeah, it's fabulous to breathe. Um, it's it's really great. Uh, you know, I have a couple of high-powered air purifiers in my home, and so that's been useful. But as you can see, I this space is small. And I don't have air purification in the spa space where I work. So right. uh, there was one day I came in after I, I had a board meeting I was, uh, that was two and a half hours long at the end of a day where I'd been in here for like 14 hours and uh, more like 15 hours. And my pulse ox was like 93. <laughs> right. It was just, I, I was just feeling, oh my gosh, you know, um, it wasn't feeling right. And, and it's like, okay, I need to, do some breathing and deep breathing here and um, I need to stay in, inside where the air purifiers are for a while. And I, right, I was much right. better within the hour, but right. it's, it's been really bad. You know, it's been nasty. Um, yeah. To, to remind our listener, uh, Noah lives in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Which is and a really interesting place on a lot of fronts right now. But yeah, the, you know, we've been fortunate where we are that we haven't suffered the tragic losses. I mean, there are more than a million Oregonians right now that are displaced from their homes wow. as a result of these fires, yeah. which, by the way, just don't make any sense to me at all from, from any right. perspective, because we had an abnormally cool summer, actually. We had an unusually cool summer. And uh, we, we, you know, in the, the week of the fires, we had a couple days where it was a little warmer out. We got up to 90, which is not that usual here in Portland. It happens once in a while. Um, you know, and as the summer wears on every single year, because of where we live, you know, where we are geographically and, and because of the, you know, weather patterns that are normally a, a natural part of this region, it, things tend to dry out in the summer, you know, right. things... Um, you know, we, we don't see much rain during the summer months as a matter of course, and we didn't, you know, it was a typical summer that way, but we did have some rain and there were very few burn bans this summer. 
Um, right. In fact, right a week before the, the firestorm, uh, you know, everybody was barbecuing in their backyards. There weren't any, there weren't any burn bans. And I've camped quite a bit this summer, um, always had a campfire, never, you know, nobody ever put any restrictions on that. There was one week where we had really hot temps, um, just one week. It was, you know, it sort of stood out and they put burn bands on that because the air quality was, you know, not good and whatever. Um, here in the Willamette Valley, sometimes it can become stagnant. And so there was, there were a few days where we didn't burn and then we had some rains that we went back to burning again and it was, it was not a big deal. Right. And then all of a sudden there was, you know, a couple warm days and then there was talk of a windstorm. And next thing we know, we, we have the greatest losses. I mean, these, these fires have been historic. Uh, For the last 25 years, fires have been going actually down in the West, you know, about 25% fewer fires over the last, you know, or or excuse me, um, yeah, about 25% fewer fires over the last uh, couple of decades now. And all of a sudden, the worst fires in Oregonian history, um, the entire state was on fire. Um, right. But you probably, you probably also know that there's rumors that our sunnies have been Involved. Well, no, it's not even rumors. I mean, there have been quite a number of arsonists. I mean, you know, people are losing their minds right now. There's a lot of mental illness out there, um, probably more than ever before in history. And there are nut jobs out there starting fires. Um, mm. And, you know, and there have, been, there have been a number of arrests in that regard, but it doesn't explain it all. So I, I anyway, that, that's, a, that's another... Right, you know, right. Topic that, of speculation that, for another podcast on another yes. day, but let's not but talk at any about rate, politics yeah, it's been pretty at this point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, we've been so, very fortunate here. So, go, going back to you, um, can you uh, remind us quickly about your background, your profession, everything? Yeah, not yeah. Every, not everything about you, but uh, sh- <laughs> the short, the short <laughs> it all started version. in a little hospital in, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, right. in 1961. Yeah, no. So I. Um, I've spent, you know, more than 20 years now, close to 25 years, uh, working pretty full time in, in a clinical capacity, working with the brain, uh, doing something called neurofeedback, and also uh, doing nutritional and functional health related consultations, uh, and you know, and work with hundreds of clients. And you know, and at this point, because of the visibility I garnered after publishing. Uh, after my book, uh, Primal Body, Primal Mind, was published, initially self-published in 2009, and then published by a publisher, uh, uh, you know, an expanded, much improved uh, version in 2011, uh, that got me enough visibility worldwide that now I, you know, I, I work with people in a clinical capacity, in a consulting capacity from literally all over the world. Uh, but um so you know i'm again i'm the author of primal body primal mind primal fat burner rethinking fatigue which is a book about the myth of adrenal exhaustion right uh and um you know i i'm a writer i'm a speaker i'm an educator i i have a a 52-week certification program that i teach and i probably have 60 70 percent of my Students are, are practitioners of some kind, everything from naturopaths to medical doctors to, you know, uh, health coaches to nutritionists to, you know, everything. But also just 
average people that are just looking to take a deeper dive into what they've you know gotten from me in the past and they want to understand certain subjects in more depth so right uh that program certainly provides that in spades um and i also have uh a a uh, a program i call the primalgenic plan it's a three-week meal by meal total health transformation program which is it's 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 something that is probably the most requested thing i've ever gotten just it's a way of just sort of hand-holding people through the process of adopting an ancestrally based ketogenic dietary approach mm -hmm. that is designed for health optimization not for just like oh weight loss you could get into your bikini you know in the spring or whatever but really um you know i i make allowances for various different kinds of needs and kinds of people and all that sort of thing and uh i handhold people through the process i provide them with the recipes and the meal plan i talk about you know the most common pitfalls and also you know what to do with various sticking points how to navigate around that um it's it's a tremendous amount of information and um you know people are really doing extremely well with that program um and has a forum uh my primal restoration program which is my certification program that also has a forum and i i do you know live weekly q a's with people and they're from all over the world um who uh you know just they have questions they want to go into certain topics in more depth so we do that and it's become like a little family uh, unit really it's a right. it's a wonderful it's a good thing you can do this from home right you do uh, right i i'm very fortunate that i had an alternative to working you know, one-on-one, face-to-face, -on -one -face in private practice, uh, because I'd right. be finished right now if that were the case. Okay, so um, I was lucky to get a copy of your special COVID-19 report. Can you tell us about it and your yes, your, your well, opinions, your opinions about this this whole mess? Well, my opinions don't matter. What matters is science and you know, and journal and you know, quality investigative journalism that's well referenced and all of that. Look, when this whole thing started, uh, I was immediately suspicious, of course, because every single year they try to sell us a pandemic. There have been so many, there are too many to count. Right. And uh, so I was suspicious out of the gate. And I just really, I, I felt like I had other things to focus on. And I really didn't want to, you know, play into all of the hysteria that was happening and all of the, it's like the familiar patterns of, oh no, here it comes, you know, and we're going to have to have a vaccine. And it's like, all right, whatever. But I, so I went into this topic really kicking and screaming because I was not especially alarmed to begin with. Uh, and, but, but once I got, you know, inundated with, with questions, I mean, my, my base really wanted to know what my feelings and thoughts were. And I, I didn't just want to spew opinions. I decided I really needed to just hunker down, roll up my sleeves and do the homework. And uh, that has since taken over my entire life. I've put hundreds of hours, I mean, no less than 300 hours, probably more than that now, uh, because I'm in here like 15 hours a day. And I've, I've taken a deep dive into the independent available science, um, not the mainstream stuff that is getting promulgated in the media that serves a purpose, I think, yeah. but really looking at you know, what does the quality science have to say? What is the data actually telling us? I was prepared to go wherever the data led me. I honestly was. Even though a skeptical, that doesn't mean skepticism when it's good, healthy skepticism doesn't mean I'll never believe it. It means right. I'm not sure 
and I, uh, I'm not prepared to accept anything one way or the other. I want to dig more deeply. And that's what I did. And um, I dove very deeply into a lot of very high quality independent investigative journalism. And I didn't accept anything that didn't provide me with ample referencing that I could then follow myself. And that's what I did with every piece of science I got, with every piece of independent journalism I got. I took the available references that were provided me and I dove into those. And then I dove into whatever they provided me with. And it's been quite the little rabbit hole. So, you know, and I've come at this from every, every angle that there is to come at it with. Um, and and there, this, there's so many dimensions to this, it's, it boggles the mind. But, you know, I'm nothing if not a, uh, a dot connector. <laughs> You know, I'm a meticulous researcher and I am an avid dot connector and I will draw from different disciplines and different areas of, of um, you know, of this uh, different dimensions of what's happening and different disciplines and all of that to see where those things converge. And usually where those things converge, you're arriving at some measure of truth. And so if, you were, first, if, if you were to uh, resume 91 pages of the report, where would you, how would you resume that? Resume? Yeah, um, concentrate. Um. Oh, I see. Well, I mean, so I, I can't really throw it into a nutshell. What I can tell you is that um, I've written hundreds of pages. And the first couple of drafts of that were very different. And I realized they were going to be too overwhelming for people, too anxiety-provoking, too, you know, just too much. And one of the things that I feel like I do best is I provide people, you know, as a matter of course, with information that is practical, actionable, that is self-empowering. And so it was very important to me to not add to people's stress and fear and hysteria and panic and whatever else that I, I wanted to provide them with information that was practical, actionable, that was going to some, be something that they could apply on their own at home where they live right now. And, and leave them with a sense of self-empowerment, you know? Uh, and so it was, it was a tremendous effort creating what I did and distilling it down to what I did. But, um, you know, I, I still stand by everything that's in there. Um, in fact, a lot of things have since been borne out even more in, in, in the research. You know, for instance, a lot of the nutritional... Uh, things that I talked about in, in the report and the supplemental approaches and, and things of that nature, you know, have since been borne out to be, yes, this, this really works. This is really effective. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I stand by the report and I, and I've been thanked. I mean, I've gotten, I, I can't even count the number of emails I've gotten now from people who have thanked me up and down mm -hmm. for producing something that was just, that helped them feel so much calmer and so much, you know, again, more self-empowered. By the way, we should tell people that report is free. It is. If on you go your website. To, yes. If you go to primalbody-primalmind.com and you put in your, your email address, which I will never abuse, um, or if you go to primalcourses.com and you put in your email address, again, I will never abuse your email, you will be emailed a link to that report. And, in, and also on that same page, is all of the fruit of my labor, of my hundreds of hours of labor, of additional um, links and resources and uh, articles uh, and uh, everything that 
that has been carefully vetted for, you know, for, for quality, right? Uh, so that, you know, I'm not, the, I'm not somebody that's going to just, you know, post some YouTube video that I saw some guy put out because it told me something I thought I wanted to hear, or, you know, or because I thought it would be good clickbait or something. I don't do that stuff. There's too much at stake here, way too much at stake. And it's not, again, ever important to me to be right so much as it's important for me to be accurate. I, I feel a very solemn sense of responsibility in all of this to provide my audience, anybody that is interested in, in my take on this, with the best possible, most accurate possible information. And so that's, that's what I've done. I've vetted a lot of this stuff. Um, and you can access all of that as all you have to do is just go and put, and I don't, okay. I'm not charging for any, I don't put, I, there's no price tag attached to it. I do have a donate button for anybody kind enough, uh, who might be willing to, to, to provide me with some support that way, because out of these hundreds of hours, I haven't charged for any of it, um, out and out. It just, everything that's happening right now just seems far too important. Right. So again, uh, to concentrate that information, if in a few yes. points, uh, what would you say? Well, again, it's not the kind of thing that can easily be summarized, you know, in any kind of a nutshell. What I can do, um, you know, something uh, I would definitely like to uh, start with. Um, is and let's see if i can find this right now um oh yeah no that's further back here forgive me you know th there are I, what I, one of the things that i do is is i list a variety of things that the average person can do mm -hmm. uh themselves in order to um you know in order to uh, safeguard safeguard their health and, and well-being and oh here I know forgive me uh, the, I seem to recall here we go okay so w I would say the number one thing that everyone can do right now to safeguard your mental and physical health Mm -hmm. is turn off the damn news. <laughs> yes. You know, and the I, main, I, I, I main, that's main, And we're talking about the mainstream news, that is. Uh, we're CNN, talking about the MSP. mainstream news. We're talking CNN, NBC, CBS, you know, Fox, whatever it is, you know, wherever it is you go for your fear porn. Yeah. Um, it is the, the single most valuable thing you can do for your health, for your immune function, for your anxiety levels, for your cognitive functioning is to turn off the news. And there is a wonderful article I supply a, uh, a screenshot of and also a summary of in, in, this, in this article that I, uh, you know, this report that I provided. Um, it was published in The Guardian, and I forget the year now, but um, at any rate, it, it was an extremely, it was, it was based on a lot of research, okay? So one of the headlines is in the article is that mainstream news is bad for your health. It leads to fear and aggression, and it hinders your creativity and ability to think deeply. The solution, stop consuming it altogether. Now, 
Um, so, I, if I could, I would like to summarize some points about this because I think it is an incredibly, incredibly important uh, first step, really, for anybody's health and well-being. In this article, based on available research, and and again, this was a few years ago before you know the uh, before the mainstream media and everything else was put up as unassailable real news and all that kind of a thing. Right. Um, so they were a little more objective back, uh, you know, a few years ago. But in this article, they showed how the mainstream news misleads and overrides your rational thinking. How mainstream news is irrelevant to anything that has the potential to improve the quality of your life. News has no true explanatory power. It also talks about how news is literally toxic to your body and your brain. It constantly yeah. triggers your limbic system and, and cortisol levels. Then it dysregulates your immune system, you know, that in turn, and then ravages your brain, right? Yeah. If you're pumping out cortisol, you know, you're turning your brain into Swiss cheese. In other words, your body finds itself in this state of chronic stress, and high stress hormone levels cause impaired digestion, uh, lack of growth and healing, you know, cells, hair, bone, everything. Uh, it can lead to nervousness, susceptibility to infections. Um, it can also lead to brain shrinkage, which is, of course, very convenient for the powers that be right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, the other potential side effects can include things like, you know, surprise, surprise, fear, anxiety, depression, aggression, tunnel yep. vision and desensitization. Also, watching the news regularly has been shown to increase cognitive errors, and it feeds the mother of all cognitive errors, which is corporate and political confirmation bias, yep. not to mention social polarization, another convenient thing for the powers that be. News also inhibits thinking. Thinking requires concentration. Concentration requires uninterrupted time. News pieces are specifically engineered to interrupt you. They're like viruses that steal attention for their own purposes. News makes us shallow thinkers, but it's worse than that. News severely affects our memory function, according to at least one Canadian study. In essence, news is an intentional interruption system. Furthermore, news works like a drug, literally altering the structure of your brain. The more news we consume, the more we exercise the neural circuits devoted to skimming and multitasking while ignoring those used for reading and thinking deeply with profound or even meaningful focus. News wastes our time. News makes us passive, right? Think sheep. Yeah. Yeah. And our news yeah. stories are overwhelmingly about things <clears throat> you cannot influence. It grinds us down until we adopt a worldview that is pessimistic, desensitized, sarcastic, cynical, and fatalistic. The scientific term also is learned helplessness, which is also, by the way, associated with clinical depression, another major epidemic of our time. News also kills creativity. So, you know, occasionally a worthwhile story does get through, but most, and, and, and this article also stated point blank, they say most of us do not yet understand that mainstream news is to the mind what sugar is to the body. Take yeah. that in. Yeah. Right. We need journalism. We absolutely need society needs journalism, but in a different way. We need independent, in-depth, investigative journalism. And that's yes. always relevant. We yes. need reporting that polices our institutions and uncovers actual truth, not something that gives us sound bites and corporate vested interest talking points. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is one more reason why, you know, we need to support quality alternative media. It's also why alternative media is in the crosshairs of the mainstream media right now and why that's being called fake news. And, and 
you know, something else that's also very, very interesting is that uh, that should also give us a good reason to turn off the mainstream news is that the information that is provided is not and cannot be um, fully trustworthy or reliable. And there are a couple of reasons for this. Um, you know, so back in 1948, all this goes clear back to 1948, there was a, a new agency that was, uh, that was created rather unconstitutionally, I might add, uh, by the government at the time called the CIA. And they, mm -hmm. they initially put somebody named Alan Dulles at the helm of that organization who had been an attorney for Rockefeller and all of that. Um, one of the sketchiest characters in history, there's a wonderful book about him called The Devil's Chessboard. But at any rate, one of the first things he did in his tenure of, uh, with the CIA was he created something called Operation Mockingbird. And, yes, uh, you know, and Carl uh, uh, Bernstein wrote a, a rather good article about it in uh, Rolling Stone. But at any rate, in the process of Operation Mockingbird, more than 400 CIA operatives were injected into every single aspect of the mainstream media, not just televised media, but print media, radio, all of it. And it was designed to basically socially engineer, you know, public opinion, to influence public opinion, mostly then about the workings of the Pentagon. And this is why things like the Vietnam War were allowed to happen, because the narrative was being very, very tightly controlled by the CIA that had a vested interest in going to war. Um, but, you know, since then, the church there was something called the Church Committee in 76 that, that exposed Operation Mockingbird because it was illegal and unconstitutional. The uh, CIA director of that time was, was booted out of office. Uh, George Bush Sr. was put into his place. And he said, oh, yeah, we don't do that anymore. Uh, you know, well, why wouldn't they? <laughs> At that right. point, they, had already, they already had 3,000 agents injected into the mainstream media. And there's no reason at all to think that that ever stopped. But to take it one step further, back in 2013, um, our then president, who shall remain nameless at the moment, signed into law a, an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act. And what that effectively did was it, it made legal Okay, this was an, a modification. This was the eliminating the Smith Munt Act of, of 1948 that was that made illegal, you know, undue influence and propaganda to the American public using the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. What 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 the what the National Defense Authorization Act did when it was signed into law in 2013 was it made quote unquote legal, however unconstitutional the propagandizing of the American public using all aspects of the mainstream and online media without Americans' knowledge or consent. Right. And if you have any clue at all as to how serious that is, you know, it, it, it means that we all are a little bit crazy and extremely naive if we're not questioning what it is we are being told. Right, um, right. And I'm not it's, saying that there's never anything good. You know, what I'm saying is... Even a pathological liar, right? Pathological liars know that in order to be successful as pathological liars, you got to throw about 10% truth in there. Problem right. is, we're all left to wonder what 10% we're actually getting. Right, right. So you're, you're probably aware that the CIA signed a 600 million 
dollars contract with the Washington Post. Yes. I mean, yes. look, you know, th this stuff is, you know, we know that it's not just the Pentagon anymore. That we, our government is, is effectively owned by corporate and financial, you know, very high level financial interests. Yes. And what we get with respect to the news isn't what there is to know about what's happening in the world. We're being told what somebody wants us to know about what's happening. And we're also being, there are some very careful omissions about things that, maybe somebody doesn't want us to know and we're left to wonder and, and it's grand theater all of it is just grand theater and it's it's terribly it, it just it hooks you it, it sucks you in and it holds you there and you know isn't isn't a lockdown a, a, a convenient thing convenient way of of adding to the brainwashing because you know people have nothing better to do than either sit yeah. and watch cnn all day or watch the newly released uh, documentary series pandemic that just happened to come out right about the time the lockdowns went into effect you're talking so, about plan pandemic right well pandemic is a whole different thing that but but there was a uh, a documentary series called pandemic that that was released in january by netflix Oh, okay. And, you know, yeah. it takes a long time to create those things. And it just happened to get released right about the time people got locked into their yeah. homes. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but yes, there is, there is an, uh, an, uh, a, a different type of documentary that's been heavily censored. It's been, you know, shut down on YouTube and whatever. You have to go and you have to find it. Um, but it's well worth doing so because... Yeah. There is uh, there is a threat of journalism in that that is unassailable, and it's called Plandemic, and yeah. it's excellent. Yes. Uh, part one came under a lot of fire because it was based on largely based on the testimony of one scientist, uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits, whom, by the way, I I know her personally. But um, but um, what they but what they did was sort of brilliant because they re they're releasing this documentary one part at a time, and part one. Um, once that went out, it created a firestorm of controversy, yes. Yes. and there was a lot of smear, <clears throat> smearing that went on by the mainstream because yeah. they they had to shut that down. They could not allow, you know, this the scientist's testimony to prevail, and so they went in and they changed her Wikipedia page and that that she couldn't do anything about, and they did everything. But with part two, they were able to take the criticisms from part one and address them. And then they moved on to a whole plethora of, of journalism that, that nobody's going to be able to smear. It's just yeah. too unassailable. I mean, it yeah. really, yeah. it will change your life if you have the opportunity to watch it, and I hope you do. Right. And I suppose you're on the, you're on the side of the frontline uh, doctors, the one that exposed the whole... Well, I'm on the side of people who know, you know, who, who have who are working with patients directly and who are seeing what works and what doesn't. Um, we're talking about hundreds of doctors from all over the world who have been working with people who seem to have been directly affected by, you know, by this virus and, and, and its infection. And, you know, they're saying, you know, this is almost a hundred percent survivable if, if treated in the right way. And the right way is not being hooked up to a mechanical ventilator. You're very unlikely to survive that. Yes. But with the use of appropriate doses of tried and true uh, hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc, um, you know, they found almost 100% recovery uh, yes. you know, from that. 
Uh, some people have seen 100% recovery. Others have seen almost 100% recovery from, you know, from that. If you catch it soon enough, right. then it's, like an, it's not a big deal. Um, hydro- it's interesting because back in 2005, there was a scientific paper published uh, talking about the use of hydroxychloroquine successfully uh, to treat SARS-1, SARS-1, which is almost identical to SARS-2, right? Yes. Um, and so they knew back then that hydroxychloroquine would be an effective treatment. But unfortunately, yeah. it only costs, you know, a few dollars, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. to treat yourself with it. It's, it. it's cheap. It's even available over the counter in some places in the world because it's an extremely effective and safe antimalarial drug. It's safer than aspirin if you yeah. use it in the doses that are appropriate for this. Yeah. And, and, um, and if I remember uh, <clears throat> correctly, at the time, Dr. Fauci was all for it. He was mm-hmm. supporting that. And now, now he's like, he's poo-pooing it. Why? Because well, right. he, he has um, financial connection to the vaccine companies. That's he has right. that. Yeah, he has that. And, you know, he's, look, this guy hasn't had a stethoscope around his neck for like 25 years. He's an immunologist, by the way. He's not an infectious disease specialist, and he does have conflicts of interest that are very concerning. You know, he's on the board of the Gates Foundation, so is Deborah Burks, you know, and and we have, and he's been also involved in illegally funding uh, gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab in China, and uh, he has a very, very sketchy history around this whole subject of novel coronaviruses that, um, you know, should really exclude him from from advising us apart from yeah. the fact that he's been wrong about pretty much 100% of everything that he said from the get go he started yeah. out yeah. saying that millions were going to die he was you know embracing the um you know the uk uh uh you know the the computer models uh, yes. neil ferguson's computer models from uh, the, uh the royal college of london i think it was it, which have never been right about anything they've ever done. No, Nothing no. they've ever calculated has ever been right. No. And, you know, the other, the other issue we need to be concerned about here is the fact that everything that is being used right now to guide public policy is based on, you know, the identification of cases through, well, in part, only in part through testing, and I put air quotes around it because... You know, I I wanted to look at how are they identifying cases, right? We need to look at the fact that there, well, there are more than 200 different respiratory viruses that are floating around in our environment and come around year after year after year that we all are potentially subjected to, including influenza-like illness. It's sort of all lumped in as influenza. Right. um, But you know, influenza-like illness doesn't necessarily mean influenza, influenza. We have to realize every single year people go in with respiratory problems uh, and it's very rare for hospitals or clinics to actually test and speciate out what virus this is. They'll just sort of, you know, treat it in general terms. Um, The other thing that's important to point out is that, um, and I was, you know, curious about this because they're talking about you know, this horrible case of pneumonia that comes along with this virus. And I'm thinking, I wonder how many people per year get pneumonia as a matter of course. More Mm -hmm. than 2 million in the United States alone. 
develop pneumonia each and every single year as a matter of course. And the roughly 50, 55,000 people a year are unlucky enough to pass away from pneumonia, which of course, right. you know, one death is too many, but I'm saying that this happens every single year. And the, the other thing to keep in mind is that pneumonia isn't just caused by viruses. Pneumonia can also be caused by bacteria. Pneumonia mm -hmm. can be caused by fungal infections. Pneumonia can be caused by, as a result of uh, side effects of medications. Pneumonia can also be caused by aspiration. But, you know, it, during influenza season, it's all one thing, right? It's all influenza. Yeah. They tend to kind of categorize it as all one thing. But, you know, this last year, have you noticed nobody's been talking about having a cold or flu? No. It's all been one thing. Yes. All one thing. It's all COVID. Every, every, everything is labeled COVID-19. Everything, everything is labeled COVID-19. Yeah. And any respiratory symptoms, see, you know, the CDC now reserves the right and, 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 it, and admonishes doctors to, if they, if they suspect a case, to label it as such. And there yes. are financial incentives to do so. It's yes, been, uh, it turns out that that's not conspiracy theory. That's very, that's very well borne out now, yeah. uh, you know, and, um, you know, if you walk into a hospital or clinic and they are able to diagnose you with COVID-19, whether they're using an RT-PCR test, which we'll talk about, or an antibody test, which we'll talk about, or if they just look at you and say, oh, you got a cough or a sniffle. Yeah, you, you've got it. If they can just <laughs> slap that label on you, all they have yeah. to do is slap that label on either through observation and suspicion, suspicion is good enough, or through the testing, which again is very, very highly questionable. They get $13,000 for that diagnosis from Medicare. And if they can convince you to get on a mechanical ventilator, they will get another $39,000 as wow. a result of that. That's literally, criminal, that's, right? li that's literally overkill, right? Well, it's, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. You're, once you, are, you consent to going on a mechanical ventilator, you are giving yourself as little as 10% odds of coming off that ventilator in, in a lot. They're the most dangerous possible treatment approach for this. They're the least effective treatment approach. It's not a treatment. It's just throwing yourself on a machine that artificially expands and contracts your lungs in a way that damages your lungs. That and can it does... Blood clotting. It doesn't, it doesn't treat the infection. It doesn't, it doesn't treat, treat the infection. They sedate you. They throw you on, throw you on the vent. And by the way, the ventilators, in addition to damaging your lungs, um, also are notorious mechanical ventilators for harboring uh, antibiotic-resistant bacteria that can cause particularly deadly forms of pneumonia. So yes. there's always that potential as well. I know people that have been victims of this. Uh, it's outrageous. You know, I, there should be lawsuits. Um, yes. You know, in New York at Elmhurst Hospital, <clears throat> I mean, virtually, virtually nobody that was put on ventilators came out came off alive. There was one person at Elm, Elmhurst Hospital, which was the hardest hit area of New York, that that actually survived, and it's because he ripped the, the tube out of his throat. He was an opiate uh, he was a, an opiate addict, and so when they attempted to sedate him, he had a higher threshold of of you know of resistance or whatever to the medication. And he couldn't tolerate the effect of the ventilator, so he ripped the tube out of his throat, and he survived. Nobody right. else did. Right. Instead, so, they instead they should be treating the inflammation, because it's uh, my understanding. You you know a lot more than I do. Uh, the the actual uh, result of the the virus is that the uh, extreme inflammation of the of the lungs, right? 
Oh, can you expand well, on that? Well, you know, yeah, there's, so hypoxia is the biggest issue, right? It, it, it is a lack of oxygen to the system. Now, right. of course, if you're, wearing, if you're wearing a mask, that's even less oxygen to your system. So, you know, I, I have to wonder how many people coming in with hypoxia into the emergency rooms or having trouble breathing have actually been, you know, have had these, you know, Petri dishes strapped onto their face, these asphyxiating Petri dishes that, that absolutely depress your capacity for oxygenation and also radically increase, you know, the amount of CO2 that you rebreathe, which has acidifying effects on, on your blood pH, which is very dangerous. Uh, affects your immune function, affects your cognitive function, affects everything. Um, and that's a whole other subject we can get into. I have a yeah, hundred yeah. page report coming out on the subject of masks. Yeah, that's um, not good. That's not go there right now, but I want Let's to not talk go there to just yet. But what I'm saying yet. is, is the hypoxia is, is, is the, is the biggest problem in people who are severely affected by this. And the, again, the frontline physicians who were working in the emergency room said, these people don't need ventilators. They need oxygen. They need high flow oxygen to, mm -hmm. to get to, you know, to get through this. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, their, their outcries for, you know, for like, this is, this is what people actually need. It looks more like, like altitude sickness, yes you know, than it does anything else. And they don't need ventilators. They need oxygen. So uh, in ventilators, you know, they don't really, all they do is they put you in a closed loop. Of, yes. of respiration which you know it, it doesn't really do anything so anyway can we go, can we go back to the testing uh the different yes. kind of test and why they're faulty uh i well, okay. already i already heard that the pcr testing is not just faulty it's also uh, misleading it's extremely misleading and you know so i read the first couple of papers about this virus that came out you know that came out and what was shocking to me was that the scientists that identified and blew the whistle on this virus never bothered to isolate it, never bothered to you know, clearly identify it, purify it, or test it for its pathogenicity, a process by which is referred to as Koch's postulates. There are the series of steps that need to be taken in science, you know, in, in virology, in order to identify a novel virus and, and determine how threatening it might be. They never did that. What they did do was they drew some fluid off the lungs of a person appearing to be suffering novel respiratory symptoms, you know, or, or unusual respiratory symptoms. And they found a nucleic acid sequence, which could have been anything, really. And they identified that as nucleic acid sequence, you know, the DNA of, of the virus, right? Or the RNA. They, they, they tried to um, attach that. So what an RT-PCR test is, it's not a test, actually. It's a biomanufacturing technique. Um, I've read all 48 pages of the manual, dry as dust, but also interesting in places, punctuated with some interesting things in places. The cover was also quite interesting because on the very cover by the people that created this, this manufacturing process, uh, basically a nucleic acid replication process, uh, you know, a lab technique, they said that this is strictly for research purposes only and is not meant to be diagnostic in nature. Mm. And then as you go through it, it says that, well, you know, um, in order to get an accurate result, you need to take multiple samples from different tissues mm -hmm. in a different areas of uh, different mucosal areas in order to, you know, get a more accurate result. 
and nobody's doing that, of course. And then um, what they do is they, they take whatever sample they got and they start replicating you know, genetic sequences. And once they've done it 30, 35, they can do it as many times as they want. The more they do it, the more likely they are to find a fragment of something that they can then call a positive. But if they said, even in the manual, they said, if you get a positive result with this, it does not mean you have a disease. And furthermore, even if you're symptomatic, when you get a positive result with this, it is not necessarily, you should not conclude necessarily that the, what you have, the virus you have tested positive for is responsible for the symptoms you're experiencing. So what are you left with then in the end? You're left with the big, you know, how do you interpret those results? You can't, it doesn't tell you how much virus you have. It doesn't tell you whether you have a disease or not. It just shows whether or not you are testing positive for a specific nucleic acid sequence. And there are a few different ones that they're using, one of which is identical to the nucleic acid sequence found in the eighth human, eighth human chromosome, which is kind of interesting. I know that there are places, there were 333 hospitals in Florida that got 100% positive results on this thing, which, you know, yeah. there's no way. There's no <laughs> way. Crazy. That's just insane. There's just, this doesn't happen. So from um, your research, what would be an actual accurate test? Well, the fact um, of the matter is that there isn't one. Now, no. the, the antibody, now you're more likely about 70% likelihood of a, of a false positive with the, with, with the RT-PCR test. And of course, you're left to wonder what percentage you got. You can right. test positive one day, you can test negative the next, and you can test positive the day after that. The results are all over the place. Now, the only thing that's less accurate than the RT-PCR test is antibody testing, which is not even FDA approved, by the way. And it can't be because they never met conscious postulates for the identification of this virus in the first place. So they don't really know what specific antibodies they're testing for. They're just testing in general for coronavirus antibodies. And of course, we right. know that the generic name for coronavirus is the common cold. Yeah. Now, obviously, <laughs> there are many different forms of coronaviruses out there. There's SARS and MERS, which had more serious effects. And now there's SARS-CoV-2, we think. Right. I, I'm not saying that there isn't a virus, okay? What I'm saying is that, that there are many assumptions that are being made that are not logical from a scientific perspective. Uh, there are many questionable methods of diagnosis that are not scientifically valid. And, and again, if you test positive for an antibody test, it may just mean that you had a cold. Or right. it may I, mean uh, that also, maybe you got exposed to this thing and your immune system mounted a, a healthy response and now you have antibodies and you're fine. Right. So you know? I, also, I also read that uh, if you had been vaccinated before for the flu, you're more likely to test positive. Yeah, there, there is that. And there's also something called, uh, you know, viral interference, which is if you've, if you've had a, an influenza vaccine, which they're saying everybody should run out and get the influenza vaccine. It actually, and this is some of the, one of the few things in viral and vaccination research that was ever done well. What, and, that, and that paper is probably pretty buried. I know I've got it. Uh, I know I've got a copy of it, but but what it basically demonstrated was that if you've been in, uh, vaccinated for the flu, that your risk of, of in secondary infection from other things actually goes up pretty significantly. You are more likely to contract coronavirus and you're more likely to not do well with coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Also, 
your immunity to the flu, which even, you know, the Cochrane collaboration back when they were, when you could actually believe what they were telling you um, before Bill Gates bought them, um, the Cochrane collaboration said that the, there's no possible way that the flu vaccine could be anything more than 10% effective for anybody, maximum, on yeah. any given year. Uh, but even so, you're less likely to be immune, naturally immune to the flu the following year if, you, if you've had, you know, a flu vaccine. So, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, interference that can go on that can make you more vulnerable. And there is some suggestion by some, and I, I need to verify that. I know it's been stated by some virologists that there are elements within, uh, contaminants within the flu vaccine that could theoretically leave you with a positive result with COVID testing. I, I don't doubt that that's the case because there's so much sloppy science around vaccines because there's no liability, right? There's no requirement to do due diligence the way there right. is supposedly with medications, which as we know, kill people in, in, in excess of 100,000 every year. And that's with years of testing and you know, all that kind of a thing. Vaccines often just get sort of pushed through with almost, with, with no safety, uh, testing or efficacy testing at all yeah yeah no no placebo testing there's not a single vaccine that has ever been tested against an inert placebo not ever if anything they're tested against other vaccines which have their own litany of side effects or they're or they're tested against the uh, adjuvants that are in the vaccines that are generally responsible for most of the problems and therefore the results of those safety tests are meaningless so, um, which leads us to the upcoming promises of a vaccine that's going to get rid of it, uh, right. which are, one, they're rushed, two, they're super expensive, right. and they haven't been tested properly. So what's your take on this? Uh, well, my take on this, and I was just about to go there, um, is that they have tried many times to create a coronavirus vaccine. Um, you, know, they, you know, it's interesting. We don't have a vaccine for the common cold. Why is that? Why did we never get a vaccine for supposedly, you know, the dangerous SARS-1 or MERS? You know, why were there no vaccines there? Well, they tried. They tried many, many times. And the problem, there are two reasons why. Um, it, it, they, one has never been previously released. One being the fact that coronaviruses are notorious for rapid mutation. Yeah. And as soon as you create a vaccine for a particular strain of coronavirus, if it mutates the next day, you know, vaccine's no good, right? Right. And so that's part of it. And, uh, you know, the flu vaccine is highly ineffective for the same reason, because influenza mutates, you know, in influenza viruses mutate. But the, the most concerning reason for why these, this vaccine cannot, uh, you know, why we have never had an RNA coronavirus vaccine before is that um, every time they have attempted to create one of these and they've done animal testing they have had essentially 100 percent mortality among the animals tested right. and so um they are extremely dangerous they have never found a safe way to do it um there's no possible way to do it that isn't potentially complicating or harmful in some way and the potential for lethality is extremely high and that's one reason why efforts to release uh, RNA coronavirus vaccines have been abandoned in the past is because, you know, it, it puts a little damper on, on, you know, on your stock up, you know, on the stocks in your, in your company when everybody right. gets the vaccine dies. 
So well, Moderna, um, Moderna, which is um, partly owned by Bill Gates, by the way, right, is right. the is the darling of the mainstream media, and it is uh, the only RNA vaccines available right now. Which, like you said, is potentially very dangerous. So, well, that's the one that is most likely to come to market first. Although there are a number of patent violations with Moderna's vaccine, so it remains to be seen whether it will be allowed to be released, which would be great if it isn't, because it's not just an RNA coronavirus, uh, you know, uh, vaccine, uh, which is also has has no safety record at all. Right. Um, and you know, we can talk about the you know the 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 small uh, pilot study that they did with a group of human guinea pigs with that. But it isn't just about that. It is also about piggybacking onto that vaccine um, biotechnology, injectable biotechnology that is designed to alter, permanently alter your DNA in ways right. that cannot be predicted, you know, the effects of which cannot be predicted long-term or even short-term. We're talking about injectable technology that has never been used in, in a living thing ever that is getting piggybacked on this because you know if it were being trying if somebody were trying to if bill were trying to release that on his own right. um you know on its own i should say nobody would go for it because it's a completely untested technology but when you piggyback technology onto a vaccine nobody can say anything bad about it automatically it's just it's 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 a vaccine Right. And so, um, and, and, you know, he, he claims, oh, yes, this will turn your body into a vaccine factory. Isn't that a nice thought? <laughs> you know, this, well, this should terrify it, everybody. It's basically so, nothing else than a genetically engineered uh, product, mm -hmm. which uh, you and I know GMO genetically engineered. <laughs> no, have, no, they have zero safety, right? No, um, yes. Also, um, you know, there was a small group of, of volunteer, well, volunteers who were paid. Um, right. and, and Moderna selected, okay, they selected the healthiest possible individuals to yeah. test this vaccine, this Moderna vaccine. Cool. These people weren't just healthy. They were like the Avengers. They were athletic. Most of them were fairly young. You know, they, they had absolutely nothing wrong with them. No metabolic issues, no autoimmunity. You know, they, they were screened up and back. They wanted, because they wanted the best possible outcome, right, yes. to, to make their, their stocks more valuable. Um, and uh, literally 100% of those who, who took this vaccine in any quantity ended up with side effects. Hmm. But those who got the highest, of those who got the highest doses, fully 20% of them land, got landed in the hospital that their side effects were so severe. And we're talking about a study group that was not um, representative of the average American, the average metabolically deranged, you know, yes, American right. with two or three, you know, health issues and, you know, weight problems and all kinds of things. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, with asthma, with COPD, you know, with God knows, God knows what. And so, and, you know, and, and what Gates is saying now is that, yeah, you know, this isn't going to get us good enough immunity with one dose. So everybody should expect to have to take multiple doses of this vaccine. Of course, of course. 
You know, and by the way, the authorities are also saying because we now know the vaccine will not be fully effective, we also have to, you know, because, you know, Gates is promising nothing goes back, you know, he's waving his arms like a spider monkey in the air, saying nothing goes back to normal until almost the whole planet is is vaccinated, you know, with his extremely profitable vaccine. Um, But now the authorities are saying, yeah, the vaccine won't be effective enough even if you do subject yourself to it and you survive it, which is, you know, there is something called uh, vaccine enhancement, uh, which is, which is, uh, that is the thing that is very, very concerning with this. But you're also going to still have to socially distance. You're still going to be forced to wear masks and shields and goggles or whatever else they're going to impose on you. They are still going to control every last aspect of your life because in the end, none of this is really about a virus. I'm I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's just not. I'm not saying that's there isn't a virus. What I'm saying is that out of all the things we have to be concerned about, that's probably the least of them. It's it's about controlling of the population and population control. The the the, the average right? person's risk exactly. Well, the average person's risk of death from this is literally 0.009%. Like you have bigger odds of being struck by lightning, eaten by a great white shark, or getting, you know, at the very least getting hit by a city bus crossing the road. Way bigger risk of, de- right, uh, right. of dying from those things. So, than so the question body. is, the question is, why, why all the organized panic for this particular flu type when in the past we survived all these multiple flus over the years, and nobody said anything. Nobody yeah, you know, stopped. Just, right. Nobody just stopped the whole day. economy. Nobody shut down people at home, house arrest, and all that. So there, to me, there's a there's an yeah, agenda there, behind it. There is, and it's it's largely a financial control agenda. This has been a coup d'état, or maybe a flu d'état, we should call it, yeah. against the entire global financial system. Yes. And. Um, and obviously also the healthcare system, but ultimately it really is about the entire global financial system. And what we have to look at is that what is getting put into place faster than, you know, blindingly fast right now are technologies which have been in development now for decades that are designed for mass surveillance, that are, you know, uh, you know, we have thing, now we have 5G in place, which is part of this whole equation. You know, we have... You know, we have injectable technologies. They're talking about nanotechnologies. They're talking about ID2020. Um, we are talking about coordination of, of tech. Basically, this is about technocracy. This isn't about takeover by communists. This isn't about takeover by, you know, any po- political ideology. This isn't about political ideology. This is about technocracy. And there was a superb interview that uh, Joe Mercola did with a man named Patrick Wood, and it's called the growing dangers of technocracy. I believe everybody should be watch should watch that and take it to heart because if if you watch that interview, you'll go, oh my god, okay, I get it because it all kind of comes together. That and pandemic two, and you'll get it. Um, but this is basically you have to look at uh, you know. So the future arbiter 
of your life, of everything that you are allowed to do, everything you are not allowed to do, uh, every medical procedure yours that that anybody that someone deems that you should receive, right? Uh, whether or not you are going to be allowed to have a bank account. Um, you know, whether or not you're allowed to travel or have a driver's license or anything else. The arbiters of this are not going to be dictators. You know, um, it's not going to be a president. It's not going to be a Hitler or a Mao or, or you know, Ceausescu or, you know, whoever, you know, uh, Stalin, whatever. It's going to be a faceless algorithm, faceless, soulless algorithm right? It's algorithms that are basically being put into place to run and control absolutely everything for the benefit of whoever it is that writes these algorithms and who, who is at, who is behind these technologies. And, you know, if you, you have to, it's not just following the money, it's following the power structures. Um, but ultimately, um, uh, the only people that are going to be immune to these algorithms are going to be the people writing them and the people basically controlling the technology and the data streams um, that are designed to control everything. And all this is moving into position very, very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 amount, the, the level of fascism that has arisen out of this, not just here in the United States, but I mean, places like Australia, New Zealand, I mean, Australia, it's worse than 1930s Germany. Oh, uh, New right Zealand, now. New Zealand already New Zealand has quarantine is also, camps. Quarantine yes, camps. They do. They have quarantine camps in New Zealand. Um, they have them actually, I believe it's Arkansas that uh, um, has decided that everybody, see, here's one of the reasons that we need to be very concerned about the testing, but also things like contact tracing. Um, you know, I would be putting my cell phone in a Faraday bag and leaving it at home, you know, when I go out, because anybody that you come into contact with, if they test positive and you, and you have that software downloaded onto your phone, which most people do if they've been updating their phones, I haven't in about six months, but you can shut it down. Yeah. You, there are things you can do to shut parts of it down. Right. But, but the thing of it is, here's the thing to realize because there are restaurants in some States you have to, you have to engage with contact trace. You have to give them your name, your address. They have, they take your ID. And if somebody that you were sitting next to in that restaurant tests positive, um, and we've already talked about what a positive result means and what it doesn't, right. a positive result right. doesn't mean you have a disease, doesn't mean you have an infection. It may not mean anything at all. Yes. But and the way it's being treated is not like oh well you know you're you're not symptomatic you tested positive you must be fine you have antibodies you have herd immunity whatever you're fine which by the way we we all do by now right. herd immunity is already happening the talk of a second wave there is no second wave there'll be another flu season you know and it's all going to be the same thing again and and all of this is being used to promulgate fear and hysteria in yes. a way yeah. that that allows you know, nobody ever seizes power with the intention of relinquishing it. And there has been unprecedented power and most of it unconstitutional that has been seized by, by mainstream authorities and, and government officials in ways that, um, that do far more to harm than help you. It's all in the name of, you know, doing things for your own good. Yeah. But if you take a, a, just one rational moment to take a deep breath and take a look, is this really for our own good? Is this really an altruistic thing we're looking at here? 
or has the collateral damage that has been a byproduct of this debacle been orders of magnitude worse in terms of morbidity, mortality, suffering, and destruction? Right. You know? So, so um, let, let's go back to basics, if you don't mind. Uh, oh. what, what can we do to, because basically what it comes down to, if we want to avoid this mess, is to strengthen our own immune system. Well, yeah, so, if you're concerned about your health and you're afraid of this virus, okay, right. and I understand if you are because you've been given every reason by the mainstream media to be, right, and people right. who watch the news, that is just going to set off fight or flight. Yeah. And I understand because that does make you more vulnerable. So, I mean, turning off the damn news, doing things that minimize your stress levels is really important because that, you know, you can't, there's only a certain amount that you can compensate for, you know, chronically abusing yourself with stress, you know, unnecessary stress. So turn the damn news off. But, but secondly, you know, whether a person is vulnerable to this virus or not is really contingent on not even age. It's the health of your immune system. Yes. And if you, people with healthy immune systems are coming through this just fine without any treatment at all. Well, you know? Look at us. Look at us. Right. <laughs> We're right? fine. We're fine. Um, and look, we've all been exposed by now. I've got news for you. We've all yeah. been exposed. This is in our environment. This is not like some, you know, look, and, and, and here's the other thing to keep in mind is that the human immune system does not get stronger by being hermetically sealed in a bubble, wearing a hazmat suit and masks, goggles, gloves, and, yeah. and, and hiding from other human beings. That it's the antithesis of what constant of what generates a healthy human immune system human immune system has evolved over countless generations right more than a hundred thousand generations to to get stronger through exposure right yes. because here's the deal like it or not we're gonna we're gonna we have to live with this virus long term it's in our environment we've all been exposed to it already most of us are fine in fact more than 90 you, you know your odds you know, your, your risk of survival <laughs> is like 99.995%. I mean, the, your risk of death is next to nil. Now, mind you, if you are s significantly compromised in some other way, well, then maybe this virus is the straw that broke the camel's back. Or maybe the camel died anyway and you just happen to have the extra straw there, you know, yeah. because a lot of people are dying with COVID and not of COVID. They're, 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 they're fabricating death certificates and, yes. and a number of new so-called cases. For the first time in history, we're referring to a positive test result as a case. Cases in medicine typically refer to active infections. Yes. Now, everybody that tests positive is a case. Yes. And as case levels go up, mortality rates have been dropping like a dead fly for more than 20 weeks now yes. we have herd immunity folks this is this is over what's not over is the the promulgation of hysteria yes. and um and and that's the unfortunate thing so the more you can minimize your own hysteria the better off you are the more you can strengthen your own immune function which we're going to need because our stress levels are we are being battered with stress from every side now and that and i believe a good part of that is by design um, oh, yeah. yes. And so the more you're in, so in Primal Body, Primal Mind, my very first book, oh, I have a little card of it here. It looked like, the cover looked like that. Um, 
toward the end of the book in the primal mind section of it, I was talking about how when a person is in a state of fight or flight, you know, and we, most of us have been driven toward sympathetic dominance is what it's referred to neurologically. When your nervous system is more uh, tipped, shall we say, toward fight or flight. Mm-hmm. What, what that means in brain terms is that the part of your brain that makes you the most human, that, that is your frontal lobe, the frontal lobes of your brain, that is what makes human beings human beings, that executive function, that right. capacity mm-hmm. to think, uh, to plan the future and, and relate that in terms of the past, the, uh, the capacity to respond to what's happening around you and not just simply react all the time. That's a function of your frontal lobe activity. Also, a lot of your affect regulation, your emotional well-being is, is modulated through a lot of the pathways uh, that uh, project into that part of your brain. And the moment you go into that fight or flight mode, that part of your brain goes away. The blood flow to that part of your brain is gone. Now suddenly everything is right here, right now. Everything is a potential threat. Um, people are functioning in fear or extremely agitated. Um, and, you know, even then, you know, back in 2009 when I first published those words and again in 2011, I mean, that was already a hallmark of the society in which we live. Yeah. Now, you know, th- that's been ratcheted up incomprehensively by orders of magnitude. And so there's more that people are afraid of than, than probably not in their everyday environments now. What, I, what, I'm, what I'm shocked to see is the amount of fear generated and how large the amount of population that it is literally is, is falling for the, for the message. I mean, no, I have friends. If, yeah, go ahead. I have friends that I've known for years, and we've been playing petanque together for years. About this, this group, usually about thirty people. For the past two months, I've been going out playing petanque with with a couple of other friends that we don't believe in the whole hysterical message, right. and we've been inviting this whole group to come and join us. And but I also make a point to let them know that if you come make sure you know that we do not wear masks we the the two or three of us so you know if you if your uh, health is compromised if you uh, if you're afraid to catch something by all means you can wear the mask right but so you know we will not wear the mask and we will not you will not force us to put the mask on well, out of the 30, it's still only the same two or three showing up every Sunday, you know, yeah. because everybody else is like, oh, my God, no, I, 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 I can't take That's a chance. Just, right. That's just it. And what people, so once fear has taken over the functioning of your brain and nervous system, you can't think rationally. You're, you're basically, we are at our most malleable as a society and as a species when we're operating in a state of fight or flight, we're very, very malleable in that state. And so there's not a lot of rational thought being applied to this. The other issue, of course, is that most people are not scientists. Even most doctors aren't scientists, right? They, they do what they do because they were taught to do it that way. They're not necessarily, I mean, what comes with science is questioning what you're being taught, right? It's questioning the status quo, always asking and always evolving truth. 
and most doctors don't bother to do that. Um, but I, you know, I will say, I know, a, I know a lot of doctors that are right in lockstep with me right now. Right. I mean, a lot of people, you know, that understand that for one thing, there actually, there literally is no credible science. And I could, I could supply, I mean, well, like I say, I have a more than 100 page report coming out in the next couple of days that exhaustively explores the subject of mask wearing and whether or not it's effective. It's not even effective in a hospital setting to prevent viral infection, much less out in, in a natural environment. Masks do nothing to protect you from respiratory infection. Liter literally nothing, except for, I suppose, if you sneezed, that it would catch the droplets. Mm -hmm. But from that standpoint, that was literally the only thing that I could see that Fauci got right early on. He sat there and he said, nobody should be wearing masks. They don't do anything. And yeah, he was basing yeah. those remarks upon the existing science. Right. And I mean, really good science has been done. Uh, cloth masks are the worst. There's yes. more than 90% permeability to viruses with cloth masks, but also surgical masks. And, 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 and I will show you screenshots from the WHO, from their own website on the subject where, you know, this woman's holding up. She is this, this, this uh, consultant for the WHO on the effectiveness of masks. She's holding up a surgical mask saying, this cannot protect you from the COVID-19, you know, virus. Yeah. It, it, they can't. And even the N95 masks can't. And they don't. They're meant to get bigger particulates. They're meant to protect from bacterial contamination of, say, somebody laying on an operating table with an open wound. But yeah, the other yeah. thing they don't tell you is that, you know, surgical theaters where surgeries are performed are designed by OSHA to improve the oxygenation of the environment to compensate for the hypooxygenation created by the mask so that the surgeon can actually think clearly while they're okay. cutting you open. Because masks impair your brain function, they lead to higher levels of anxiety because you're effectively asphyxiating all day long. You're wearing this thing on your face that is collecting all of the secretions that come out of you and collecting it in there where bacteria can grow, where viral particles can accumulate, where fungal growth can happen. Um, and not only that, but you're rebreathing your CO2 in a way that severely acidifies your blood pH. And that has all sorts of implications for all kinds of things, including immune compromise um yes and so, so you're uh, aggravating yeah. the situation you, you're you, aggravating you the situation already. i mean i looked at all of this the n95 right. mask i really went into because that's considered the gold standard for mm. starters most of what people are wearing as those oval shaped n95 masks the ones yes, that really yes. get, i get a chuckle out of are the ones with the valve that's basically yes. expelling everything <laughs> but even those are not very good at protecting you against co2 accumulation they actually can lead to compromises and there are a number of studies that have been done you know to, uh, you know by OSHA and whatever that say you know this isn't actually very safe it creates an unsafe level of oxygenation for the human body and an unsafe level of CO2 buildup for the body and uh, some of these things can actually be potentially harmful or even lethal to you if they're not used right. properly. You know, if you're overexerting yourself, those people jogging down the road with masks, they're out of their minds. Mm. You know, or in their cars driving along with this, you know, it's like, yes. what the hell's the matter with you? So, to technically, the only real protection you can get from any virus would be a hazmat suit with uh, not even that. oxygen. I mean
What do virologists wear? They're wearing a freaking moon suit with, with closed ventilation systems hooked up yeah. to them. Yeah. That's what they, but you know, your bandana works too, right? <laughs>